Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1309, entitled Emmy, Oh My. Actually, I need to do that in George Takai's deeper voice, Oh My. Actually, I don't have a deeper voice, damn it. (laughs) Our podcast title is Up Shit's Creek Without a Poddle. (laughs) I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And the first title is Actually, the first and the second title there are pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. We are going to have a look at the Emmys tonight, today, whatever the hell time zone it is now, because we've uh, just clicked over into daylight savings. So the space-time continuum is all gone a bit wibbly-wobbly, mm-hmm. which just adds to the general confusion and major chaos. What a strange military pair they are. <laughs> so, Megan, there's a lot to talk about in the Megans. This, in the Megans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we could call them the the Jannies. No, that just doesn't work at all. I'm just sitting here a bit stoked because uh, I've been to one of the supermarkets and you know how they give away these Ushi things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which which as far as I can tell are – are like pencil sharpeners. Is that what they're for? I think it goes on the end of a pencil, like a pencil topper. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're fit for purpose. I don't know if they make good erasers or whatever. Yeah, perhaps you could possibly use them as, as puppets. But the first two that my partner Abigail and I got out of the packets were ah! <laughs> Hologram Captain America, mm-hmm. which just means that he's basically transparent and blue, and Color Change Iron Man. I so mean, stopped- <laughs> there's fate for you. <laughs> So he, the colour change Iron Man starts out white, but when you dip him in ice water, he turns hot rod red. That's pretty cool. I can see. I mean, I know these things are popular because, uh, you know, who, who doesn't know these things are popular? But that's pretty cool. And I'm just glad that they didn't make Captain America colour change because dipping Steve Rogers into ice water mm. a little bit tacky. Been, you know? there, been there, done that kind of vibe. <laughs> I just say, no, no, I don't want to go back in the ice. <laughs> All right, so we'll just burn on over to the 2020 Emmys. Over mm-hmm. to you, Megan. Yes, so I'm here to give a bit of a rundown on the Emmys. So Rob and I sort of touch base. We didn't go through the nominations when they first came out, but we thought it would be nice to talk a little bit overall about the winners and who came away with those statues on the night or remotely had them in their homes on the night because, of course, being 2020, they weren't held in the normal style. I'll be honest, I haven't really watched much of the footage except for some of the acceptances and announcements and things. But from what I can tell, they did pretty well with the format. They did what they could. And there was still a bit of a nice air of ceremony and formality about the whole thing with a bit of fun as well. So I thought that was pretty nice that they could still capture that energy given the circumstances. So one thing that we talked about 
bit about when it was Oscar season as well was this idea about now the streaming services are out and about and how that looks when we start thinking about the awards piling up because obviously there's a bit of a in the early days it was like well streaming services can't make tv as well as the the studios can or movie blah 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 but so I thought it'd be interesting to intro you with a little bit of the overview of how that all panned out this year 2020 Emmys so for nominations, we did have Netflix walking away with a record amount of Emmy nominations. So they had 160 in total. So that's obviously across all your major categories. I know Rob's face. Exactly. I was shocked as well. That's your major categories. And the Emmy categories are obviously super strange. It's like they're very long. They're very involved. There's a lot of them. So had it walked away with a lot of nominations and about 50 more than HBO had. So HBO had fewer nominations, but on the night of nights when it all came down to it, HBO walked away with the most actual statues. So they got 30 wins across multiple different categories and they were the network to walk away with the most awards. They did have a couple of key shows in the mixture, which was what led to their success. So Succession for one is a big winner and always has been in awards season. And that's a fabulous show. I don't know if you've watched it, Rob. It's not really, it's not genre, um, but it's a very, very good show about modern capitalism and a very thinly veiled account of the Murdochs. Uh, and Watchmen, of course, much more in our wheelhouse, another key winner that really went hard for HBO this year. So I'll talk a little bit more about Watchmen in a bit. But, yeah, so HBO also, they got a lot of the lead acting awards and they got some of those big ticket awards. And that did include... Now, this isn't genre, but I thought we'd give her a shout out because we did love her as MJ uh, opposite Tom Holland in the Spider-Man series. So Zendaya, she did walk away with a win for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, and she is the youngest actress to win that award. So Jodie Comer got it last year. She was 26. She won it for Killing Eve, and that was the record. And then Zendaya's come in and and smashed that record this year, winning the, the statue for that show. So she was in a show called Euphoria. So that was very exciting and and everyone was very happy about that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Good on her. I I mean, I liked her as MJ. I like everything she's done since then. Uh, I'll probably check that show out now. So Netflix, on the other hand, they only managed to only, quote unquote, they got 21 Emmys. That's still a lot. That's still a lot. And if you want to be snobby about it, the big thing is it's sort of they only got a couple in what we call those big ticket awards. So they got two in sort of your main categories and then 19 of their awards were in things like your editing, your creative arts categories, which, look, for me, I think those people are amazing at their craft and they deserve just as much respect. They probably shouldn't be just shunted to the background, but that's not how the industry works. I get it. It's not as glitz and glamour as some of those other categories. So Netflix did get a lot of awards, but far fewer than HBO and HBO kind of got your big fireworks awards. So let's walk through some of the key awards that we're interested in. So as I mentioned before, Watchmen the series. Now, Rob, have you watched that one? You know what? No, not yet. I mean, obviously, I'm familiar with the Zack mm-hmm. Snyder adaptation of the graphic novel, mm-hmm. but I haven't had time yet. I've been too busy with the boys recently. <laughs> well, and they're cut from the same cloth, right? But I did. This did make me think. I haven't watched it either, and I really love both the graphic novel and the movie. I don't really like much else Zack Snyder's done since then, but it did. This did make me think. Perhaps I'd like to check out the series. So, Watchmen. 
HBO series had 26 nominations and it had 11 wins. So that's awesome. Really, really cool. And that did include, like I said, some of your big fireworks awards like Outstanding Limited Series, Outstanding Casting for a Limited Series Movie or Special, got a cinematography nod, and it did also get Outstanding Supporting Actor. That went to Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Outstanding Lead Actress, and that went to Regina King. So both of those roles were in Watchmen. It also got an Outstanding Writing nod, an Outstanding Music Composition nod uh, for a a piece of score that was done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, some composers that we love on Zero G, and it also got a couple of other nods for things like mixing and editing and costumes and so on. So Pretty nice sweep there from Watchmen. Pretty cool. Uh, does make me feel like it's probably one that we should check out uh, given it's been lauded. I mean, I know awards don't always mean everything, but uh, it did spark my interest. So the other big winner that I'll mention that is of interest to Zero G is, of course, The Mandalorian. So that's a Disney Plus Ooh. show. <laughs> Uh, so I was very happy to see. I was like, oh, is, is Mandalorian going to take anything? Because I was sort of looking through the list and saw Watchmen. It picked up quite a lot and it, it had a lot of nominations. It had fifth, the Mandalorian had 15 nominations. And I was like, oh, is it going to take anything away? And it does. It has seven wins. Now they are for things like it got music composition for the Goranson score, which we have played on Zero G and which is just amazing. Like I think really evokes that the feeling of that show. And we will play it today on Zero G too. Excellent. It's, it's, he's, he does such a great job of that score. Uh, it also got a production design nod. And, of course, Baby Yoda hats off a special visual effects nod as well and stunt coordination, cinematography, um, and some editing and mixing nods. So it does walk away with some pretty cool awards, mostly in more technical categories, but that show is a bit of a technical feat. Like the way they approach everything is by far, we talked about it when we covered the show, is really interesting and and kind of a different way of doing things. So I'll just sort of mention before we head off into the sunset a couple of our other mishmash wins that are of note. So a special hulky shout-out to our boy Mark Ruffalo. So he did take away Mm. outstanding lead actor in a limited series or movie for uh, something called I Know This Much Is True. Don't know much about that, but good on him. I We love Ruffalo. Uh, we love everything he does. So outstanding interactive extension of a linear program. Now, I did not know that was a category. I think that's cool that that's a category. Uh, and Mr. Robot took that away. And I'm going to go and look up exactly what that category entails. But I think it's sort of a nod to, um, yeah, more and more studios, networks are doing these interactive extra bits and bobs. I don't know. Pretty cool. Uh, Apollo 11 from CNN that got some editing and sound award nods and then of course we covered this on the show and you loved it Rob Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance took away outstanding children's program just in time to get cancelled yeah yeah that was so tragic Mm. although on the other hand it is a prequel to the movie Dark Crystal Mm. so we do actually know what happens (laughs) true true and I think it's pretty cool that it got made at all and that they did such a lovely job of kind of still capturing that that world. Picard got a nod for prosthetic makeup. Stranger Things got a sound editing nod. Outstanding animated program went to Rick and Morty, something I've never actually really watched. No particular reason, just haven't come across it. And Handmaid's Tale got a production design nod, as did The Crown. So 
Handmaid's Tale, the most realistic show of 2020? Isn't it? That's a little too real if you ask me. So, yeah, that's kind of the bit of the Emmy rundown. It was another interesting year. I was happy to see that, uh, you know, those two shows, Mandalorian and Watchmen, did so well. I do think, I mean, I haven't watched Watchmen, but we really loved The Mandalorian. And I think I want more stuff like that to be made. I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on in that space. And, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, like, Netflix does rack up the nominations. The same thing happened at the Oscars, but can it push through and kind of what is it? I think they really spread a wide net of types of shows. Like, if you look at the things that were nominated from Netflix, it's a lot of good quality things, but I guess maybe HBO just had some really, really, really good things and just had a couple of those. So, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it's so big a jump for the Emmys to acknowledge the streaming mm. platforms as it is for the Oscars. Yes, true. Because the the competition there, yeah, they're competing with network television, but they're television shows to start with. Yeah, yeah. Know, so yeah. they're also on mm. network television as well. Back in 1965, Barbara Streisand won an Outstanding Individual Achievement in Entertainment Award, mm-hmm. and she won it for My Name is Barbara, which was a, a show mm-hmm. for, on CBS. So I thought we'd just have a somebody else talking apart from us. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is Barbara Streisand from the 1965 Emmy Awards. Hi, I'm Jani Wirtz, fantasy author and artist, and whether you walk in the shadows or the light, you're listening to Zero G on 3 R. There we go, Barbara Streisand there, accepting an Emmy Award there in the 1960s, in the mid-60s. And I wonder, the person who handed the envelope to the presenter, he said, uh, Sonny. Now, would that be, you know, Sonny and Cher? Who knows, yeah. I'm sure somebody knows. I don't, not at this moment. Maybe Barbara Streisand's nose knows. You never never knows. That's (laughs) terrible. In terms of nose jokes, I am hopeless. That would be... Bob Hopeless in my case. All right, so the Emmy Awards for 2020 done and dusted. Mm. And I'm sure they're all beginning theirs by FedEx or something like that. (laughs) Well, some of them were holding them, so I don't know exactly how that worked. But, yeah, anyway, congrats to everybody. I'm sure they're all listening, but, yeah. Maybe they, like, 3D printed them at at home or something. (laughs) And then it spits it out as soon as it's announced. That would be kind of cool. The virtual Emmys did allow them, and I have actually seen some of the footage and the production on this was exceptional. It should actually get an Emmy in itself next year for, <laughs> for the versatility that they managed to show under the circumstances. And the dresses and gowns and, and outfits were, were fun too and played up to the, yeah, God help us, the theme of the pandemic. And you can still sense the excitement and happiness, like obviously Shit's Creek, which isn't genre, but it took away a lot of nods this year uh, and it's kind of wrapped up now and I think a lot of people really grew to love that show and you can still sense when they all won their awards how exciting and festive it was and I think that's really nice. You can still get that through even though it's this weird remote kind of vibe. So weird remote kind of vibe. That sounds like an Emmy that Zero G could win any day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going to have another track here, and I've got an opportunity to both pay homage to the Watchman television series. So the Watchmen. Watchman is a different television series. And this is also the Bowie track, the Bowie track for today. Mm -hmm. It's an adaptation of Life on Mars. 
and this is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Mm. And so this is from the Watchmen Volume 3 soundtrack album. Do you ever notice that uh, soundtrack albums for television shows, or as we refer to them as OSTs, mm-hmm. they're popping up really quickly now for television mm. shows. So they seem to be keen on getting them out there. And one of the things I did like about the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie was the soundtrack. Yeah, it was a really good soundtrack. Yeah. Anyway, we can do our Bowie and our Watchmen at the same time. Hello, this is Wendy Padbury. I played Zoe Herriot on Doctor Who and Sue Craig on Free Wheelers. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Zero G? Well, I'm quite sure that doesn't add up. Yeah, well, that does add up. That was mm-hmm. Life on Mars. Yeah. Trent That's Reznor and Atticus Ross via classic, Mr. David Bowie. Classic score, but classic ambient sound from them. I feel like that's, um, yeah, I love their scores. Anywho. Watchmen. <laughs> and what, you love their scores? What other ones have they done? I'm not familiar with their work. Um, he, I, you are, in that they've done a lot with David Fincher. So they did Social oh. Network and they did Gone Girl, the girl with the dragon tattoo that Fincher did. Uh, Trent Reznor's from originally from Nine Inch Nails and Atticus Ross is, I think, now in Nine Inch Nails. But they do a lot of that kind of electronic, uh, moody energy and exactly kind of what that that sound was. I think it's a very nice uh, cover of that song as well. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, of musical trivia, did you – I actually got three questions right watching Spicks and Specs the other night. <laughs> Nice. All of the the sort of the, the new music is uh, seeping into the old mind grapes. Uh, they actually had a classical <laughs> music. <laughs> I, I was like Captain America in. Uh, <laughs> it's like I, I understood that reference. <laughs> Anywho, we were talking about the Mandalorian in context of the Emmys, mm-hmm. and they have won. A new trailer. <laughs> <laughs> we have Second. won a new trailer. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And also WandaVision, mm. the new Marvel Cinematic Universe television series, which apparently is going to be the first to hit the small screen mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, mm. you know, the, the, the COVID has messed everything up and production schedules are all out of whack. And apparently it's WandaVision that's going to be first to hit the screen. So, wow, it's got um, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen in it reprising their MCU characters. I also see that uh, Tiona Paris is appearing as the adult Monica Rambo. We saw the child Monica in Captain Marvel, the movie. They've also got Kat Dennings. Mm, yes. <laughs> is she now, reprising her role? She could be, but in this particular series, anything is actually possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can find the trailer pretty much wherever you find quality trailers <laughs> online. Um, and it, it shows basically to start with a black and white sitcom setting. Yes. For the Scarlet Witch and the Vision to be husband and wife in. Yeah, classic bewitched kind of vibe, very, yeah, housewife but mystical. Uh, they re- Yeah, they really lean into it. It's pretty fun when the trailer kicks off. 
Now, they're in the town of Westview, which you can tell from the newspaper headline. (laughs) And it actually reminds me more of Pleasant Hill. Now, when I say Pleasant Hill, I don't mean Pleasantville, the movie, although it's kind of a similar concept. Pleasant Hill in the Marvel comics was a high-security, mind-bending prison facility that S.H.I.E.L.D. ran. You might remember we talked about that on Zero G when we were covering that particular comic book arc a long time ago now. Or you might not. It might have been fluenced out of your head. And it all went horribly wrong, as such things do go wrong in the comic books. And they used a cosmic cube, which in the MCU is kind of similar to the Infinity Stones. Yes, I was going to say. And it just totally collapsed and they ended up with superheroes stuck in there as well. Mm. Now, that's one possible take. In mm-hmm. the trailer, we saw the perimeter of some kind of setup, yep. which is why that makes me think that. But there is another possibility here. Through the venue of a bottle of wine that's being poured out, which has the label M on it, mm-hmm. for House of M, which is another Marvel Comics story arc, which features the Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. quite heavily in a famous sort of uh, moment in comic book history. Now, that could also mean that she's using her chaos magic, her reality-bending powers. It could be in reaction to the events of Avengers Endgame because that seems to be set after that. Although Vision is there, and, of course, he had the Mind Stone ripped from his head, mm. just destroying him or not, as the case may be. So there's lots of possibilities yes. there mm. because they're like paying homage here to Bewitched and, and other similar strange and sort of magic realism elements from back in the 50s and 60s. We've got uh, Deborah Jo Rupp appearing as the nosy neighbour, and she is actually from uh, that 70s show. And there's a few other people from classic sitcoms as well, that 70s show. Is that a classic sitcom? Oh, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty beloved. Yeah, it pretends to be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's face it, it's no third rock from the sun. Oh, that third rock from the sun. Mm. Okay, this is uh, all very intriguing, and there's some great little Easter eggs hidden in it. For example, we see the Scarlet Witch's comic book costume. Ah, and, yes. And the visions as well, and that seems to be tied into Halloween, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense. And then they shoot over into colour, and it sort of switches over into an 80s sitcom. And uh, Catherine Hand shows up uh, again. Now, she's another nosy neighbour in the show, but this time she's wearing like a headband and leg warmers. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, really excited to see this show. I know they're playing to that trope of things are not what they seem, but it's all there in the trailer, and I really want to know which way they're going in that. Yeah, it's definitely like the definition of teaser trailer in that I was like, I'm barely sure what's going on here, but I like what I'm seeing and it is making me excited to watch this show for sure. Also because I think Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are fantastic. Their chemistry is great. I love them as those characters. So I'll watch them do almost anything, but it looks like they have very interesting premise. So I think even if you're less familiar with some of the directions they could go in, I was interested. I liked what I was seeing uh, in the trailer. Yeah, definitely. And that's coming up. Well, when it comes out. I know, they're very cryptic. So, uh, yes, all right. Fine, Disney Plus. You've still got my business. I will wait until these things come out. Well, let's have a track here to riff off of all of that. And it's actually called The Vision and Scarlet Witch. And it's from (laughs) a group called I Set My Friends on Fire. 
Yeah, it's eponymous. The album, so same title as the track. Triple R. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> yeah, well, here we are, dreaming away on the Starship Zero-G. Science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio. Now, we just had a track there from I Set My Friends on Fire from the eponymous album The Vision and Scarlet Witch. And from that trailer, which has just dropped, we look over to the Mandalorian Season 2. Mm. Very excited, very keen. Season 1 was much hyped but then delivered, so that's always good. Yeah, it looks pretty hot, this one. John Favreau's other science fiction franchise, Beat Up Razor Crest, the Mandy's uh, spaceship, mm-hmm. uh, X-Wing Fighters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, look, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in that far, far away galaxy or even in this one up close. But I do get some of the Easter eggs from the original couple of Star Wars movies. Uh, They're looking at Tatooine flying over that with a bantha, one of those aforementioned X-Wings. But there are some from some of the later films I noticed that look like the planet Ilum from Starkiller Base, you know, the the First Order Base. Mm-hmm. Although probably at that stage they haven't done as much extensive mining on the planet and changed it so much because, of course, we had Cara Dune and Grief Karga reappear mm-hmm. in the trailer, so that's nice. And I didn't see Emily Swallow's Armourer character, but I did hear a voice. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of fun there. And, of course, Baby Yoda uh, <laughs> getting involved in a, in a gun battle of some sort and literally clamming up as he closes this little pram yeah. armoured cover. All the rage out there for lone wolves and cubs, little armoured baby carrier, <laughs> which is not actually easier to say, armoured baby carrier. Oh, well, maybe I've proved myself wrong. What do you think, Megan? I thought it looked really good. Like I think the energy and the type of Star Wars world that Favreau's kind of decided to show in The Mandalorian, I really liked that tone. And this was kind of more of the same in that it was enough Star Wars stuff that you could feel familiar and latch onto, but then enough kind of mystery that you were wondering, ooh, where's he going now? What's that about? Ooh, I wonder what's going on here. Oh, you've dropped this hot button word. I'm interested as to what this means for everything. So, and of course, baby Yoda, big draw card. I think in general, the whole iconic Mandalorian helmet and things, like I think they're really leaning in as well to that style. Like even from the trailer, you could tell there's that little bit of comedy and timing that they're using sort of a light-hearted touch to do a very serious show, and I thought that was kind of the nice dynamic. And so I'm very, very keen to see if Season 2 stands up to all of my hopes. But, I mean, if Favreau can direct as well as he cooks on the chef show, then I think we'll be fine. I have actually started watching the Mm. latest volume of The Chef Show. Mm, Same. It's always good fun, and I'm wondering if there'll be any of interest guests coming up. I haven't looked ahead at the episode list, but, yeah, it's nice to have some new episodes of that out as well. Yeah. Well, two ones on Disney Plus to look forward to. I think The Mandalorian is dropping about late October sometime. Yeah, around late October, early November, I believe. Mm. All right. 
another track here, I believe, and I did promise you I'd play a track from The Mandalorian. So this is not Ludwig's score as such. It's a, a cover. And the actual idea of this was a hoot. It's The Mandalorian, the main title theme, but it's an 80s remix. Oh, sold. <laughs> from the retro crowd from their Sci-Fi Heroes album. <laughs> and they, they've done a, a great job with this because I feel like I'm actually listening to a, a classic sort of 80s soundtrack. Maybe not quite spot on, but, you know, close enough, I think, for Imperial work. Greetings. This is Mark Alimo, and I play the Cardassian commander, Gold Dukat, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You're listening to the Starship Zero G. Heave to and stand by to be boarded. Yeah. <laughs> Adding it up there with The Mandalorians, an 80s remix from Retro Crowd, Sci-Fi Heroes, 80s cartoons. That's so cool. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Some stings in there that are very reminiscent of some of the 80s Doctor Who. Mm. sort of soundtracks I remember, but applied in a modern sense. Great idea. Okay, so we have up next on Zero G, Megan has a book review, which actually I'm so excited to hear about because this book sounds right up my alley and I haven't even heard of it. I know. I think I hadn't heard of it either and it was actually published a couple of years ago, but I can see why maybe it's risen again, so to speak, because of the topics. Now, the other reason why perhaps you haven't heard of it is it's sort of, it's a term I hate to use, but in book circles, it's they call it sort of millennial fiction. So it deals with the millennial condition, but uh, through the lens of somewhat of a sci-fi lens. So I'd be very keen, Rob, if after you hear my review, if you do read it, what your thoughts are and whether you liked it, given your extensive reading of zombie novels and where you think it sits. So Let me dig into it properly and tell you the details. So the book I want to talk about today is called Severance and it's by an author called Ling Ma. Now I've got my copy here because I like to have my copy with me when I do my reviews. That was published in 2018 by Picador. And like I said, I've recently got a copy of it because I heard a bit about the premise and I was interested. And I think that's because some of the stuff in here is eerily a little accurate. I mean, all zombie novels generally come from the same core idea about how a pandemic might start. But I think there's some things in this book that I was like, oh, when was this written? And then I flipped to the front and I was like, oh, it was written a while ago. Okay, interesting. All right then. So again, just a warning that you might not be in the mindset to read this given today's sort of situation. So take with that what you will. There were parts of the book where I was like, oh, I feel this makes me feel very raw. Um, But it is very readable, fast-paced uh, it's introspective, but quite plot driven. So it's very engaging. So don't, don't fear not is what I'm saying. So what's it about? It's thematically, it's about a lot of things. It's sort of about the rote repetition of daily life, the daily grind for young people, the pressure on young people today to maintain a job and get into a routine and how that kind of emulates success and what we should be aspiring to. But It's a zombie pandemic novel as well. So it's kind of this city office chic pandemic novel and it flips back and forth between a time before the end, quote unquote. So before the end when 
the world was operating as normal and then the present, which is sort of after some a, a pandemic. So we've got the modern world, which is sort of what we expect it to look like, and then this pandemic world, which at the moment seems far more plausible and scary than it would have a year ago. We have our protagonist, so we're following mainly through the viewpoint of a girl called Candace Chen. Now, she's in her 20s. She's graduated from university, and so she's in her first job, which she's been at for several years. She works in book production in New York City. And so a chunk of the book is a bit of this fairly accurate from my lived experience, 20-something, big city, trying to make it after university, maybe working in a job that you don't love but that you're quite good at and so why not stay in that job? Uh, she, as a character, Candace is a bit disconnected. She does have a boyfriend but she, it's from her perspective but the, the vibe you get from it is that she's a little bit aloof, a little bit uh, distant emotionally. And as we dig more further and further into the book, we kind of uncover a little bit about her past and her parents who are immigrants from China and how that has affected her growing up and kind of her sense of family and belonging. So we've got these themes around her living in New York City, her city life, 20 something on we, like young parties, blah, 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 going out and and whatnot, trying to find your path. So Candace is really kind of trying to figure out who she is, you know, her reason to get up in the morning, basically. And then we start to see there's a news flyer at her work. Oh, there's this new fever, this new virus that's come out of Shenzhen in China. Oh, this virus is called Shen fever. It's spreading through the globe. And that's where the sort of zombie element comes in. So I'm not really ruining anything here. This is the core premise of the book. So these zombies, they're not, they're not going to crawl up a wall to get to you. They're not going to try and feast on your brains. They're not going to run or lurch slowly towards you. The way that they work is that they will repetitively do a task <laughs> until they just die just from like, so they'll repeat these actions that they did in life with this dead-eyed look. So it's sort of in some ways it's more malicious and less malicious and they're not going to run for you. But if you contract this virus, you will then be stuck in maybe this endless loop of getting something from the fridge. But it's possibly that you're not getting something from the fridge. You're pretending to get something from the fridge and eat it, but you're not. And so you just slowly starving to death. So that's pretty horrible. And of course, there's some talk in the book about how the world reacts to this new virus and what that that looks like. So I'm not going to ruin that, but I thought it was very interesting that Candace's imagination, some some of it's accurate. Candace, I'll give you a, a award for that. Some of it, she maybe gives society a little more credit and in other ways she gives society not enough. So it is interesting. So it is about the quick decline of modern civilization in this pandemic world. And then at the same time, Candace, our protagonist, she's getting up and going to work every day. Why? During a pandemic. It's this very interesting core question and I think kind of flips back and forth a bit about this and that's kind of where the themes of the book emerge, I guess, because we're drawing a very, you know, it's not very far to go to get from the type of zombie <laughs> and the message that Ling Ma is trying to get through with this book. So, But she does it in a very classy way. So... I guess my thoughts on the book, yeah, her writing style really lifts it. I think 
the perspective as well is something I could relate to in some ways, which I thought was very, but I think it's also very well written. Yeah. So the metaphors were a bit heavy handed, but there is an interesting exploration of global capitalism. So that's kind of one of the core interests that she obviously has in, in her zombie metaphor, which is about the roots and the mechanisms of modern capitalism and production and how we get goods and where goods are made and exports out of China and etc. And parallel to this, it starts to dig more into Chinese immigrant experience in the United States through Candace's family and her parents in particular who immigrated to the United States and then Candace came over later. And there's some interesting things that she talks about, an idea of home and stability and and putting down roots and things, and and she incorporates that into how this illness works. So I thought the the Shen fever. So I thought that was very interesting what she what she tried to do there. The last core of the book, and like I said, there's really no spoilers in a book like this because it's all just about you know the the journey. We know there's a pandemic, and we know it's about a young woman living in New York City, but. Obviously, there reaches a point where there's this sheer isolation of Candace and the loneliness and those descriptions were very eerie reading it now. And I actually thought that was a very interesting time to read it. And it obviously kind of affected me a bit because I was like, ooh, I don't know. Like I enjoyed it still, but it was it it was very interesting. Obviously, it's descriptions of New York City and so on being quite empty and, and all of that kind of thing in the way society reacts in the book. Uh, Ling Ma herself was born in China and she now lives in the US. So I think there's some deeply personal themes in the book that she's obviously pulled from her own life, I would wager. And uh, it's as nostalgic about American life as it is critical about modern America. So it's not taking lashings at it. It's it's interesting. There's there's things that she talks about, opportunities and so on, but also obviously is like consumerism, capitalism, it's terrible. I would recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I don't think there's anything groundbreaking in terms of the themes or metaphors, but I think it's an execution that's maybe a little bit different, like a new take on the narrative. So I would say I'd wager you probably haven't read a zombie novel. I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but Rob, you probably haven't read a zombie novel like quite from this perspective before. No, I don't think so, although I've read quite a few order zombie novel <laughs> which is an interesting thing in itself but you mean there's no when you say no groundbreaking you mean there's no clawing from the grave no, no not not quite no repetition of everyday actions is very commonplace in modern zombie lore especially in like romero movies where the zombies often gravitate to actions that they have performed in life like going to the mall Mm. Not that we would know anything about that now. <laughs> no. What's a mall? I don't remember. Our zombie actions would be so boring. We'd just sit at home. I'd walk from the kitchen to the living room. Maybe bake bread. <laughs> <laughs> Opening and closing Zoom on repeat. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. And and so Ling is obviously across zombie narratives and you, there'll be some fun Easter eggs in here. I should stop waving the book around. I'm probably making some weird sounds on the <laughs> audio. I think the real story is obviously this coming of age narrative to the backdrop of this zombie thing. And I actually do think she executes both quite well. And that's what I appreciated in the book. And I mean, I read it really quickly. It was just engaging. It was interesting. She had some cool ideas and I think I, I, Highly recommend. So it was called Severance. It is by a writer called Ling Ma. And yeah, I, I think if you're going to read a coming of age 
anti-capitalist novel about a zombie pandemic, go for this one. And the award for best coming of age, zombie. <laughs> All right. Okay. That sounds good. I, I'm, I'm actually chuffed at that. I've never heard of it and mm. now I want to read it. Mm, excellent. I, I'm really glad actually because I thought I, I'd be interested on your take on it. So let's let's rediscuss once you've had a chance to to give it a look. In in the absence of a, I suppose I could get it um, ordered from a bookstore, but in the absence of that, I could easily get it on Kindle too. I imagine exactly. I think it's pretty available. Uh, like I said, I think there's a little bit of a resurgence interest in it, so you should be able to get it pretty easily. I ordered it online. Now, Megan, you suggested as a track to play this out and indeed to play out the show today, Call Me, which is a track Blondie's auto-American album. Why did you pick that one? So in the book, they have an 80s-themed dinner party. So they describe the dinner party, like how everyone dresses, like lots of acrylic nails, lots of skinny ties, and they have here Giorgio Moroda played in the background. Someone came dressed as Ronald Reagan, pelting girls with jelly beans from his suit pocket. So I thought, let's play something Giorgio Moroda adjacent. And so on a list of tracks that he's been involved with, I saw Call Me by Blondie and I was like, that's a real ripper of a track. Let's play that to to give homage to this book and the review and close out the show. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to Kayla, our podcaster, and to my partner, Gail Adams, for once again making Zero-G possible. Yes, and to Carl Knapp, thank you again for your silence during the show. (laughs) And thank you to Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour, as usual. And also thank you to the listeners staff and volunteers of Triple RFM. We've been through a fantastically successful radiothon mm-hmm. over the past oh several weeks. And now we move on into the rest of 2020. What wonders, what marvels, what nightmares, what horrors it may hold in store for us, we do not know. But rest assured that if you get into trouble, you can just call us on Zero G or Indeed, Call Me with Deborah Harry and Blondie's auto-American album here. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.